Let's have a word of prayer together before we start. Lord, thank you for tonight. We pray that you'll bless our time. pray that you will, Lord, uh, teach us from your word. pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Grant me the it's anointing to make clear your word in a way that would stir and motivate each of us uh, to live for you, to serve you. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We love you very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you. I'm going to go home and need counseling. I love you. Okay, that's better. We're on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. Tonight, let me read that to you. For you have been called for this purpose. Now that is going to be the primary focus tonight of what I'm going to talk about. You have been called for this purpose. Purpose is the key word. Purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth, While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body. Bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin, live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In your notes, number one, in the beginning, the beginning is when nothing existed except God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Everything's created except for God. So at some point in the past, nothing existed except God. That's the beginning. In the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had a plan, a goal, a purpose. And we were it. We were it. Now, you've heard me say this before, but... The Bible is illustrated by life. So you look around, you see things, and it will illustrate the truth of the Word of God. Uh, Psalms 103, verse 11, says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who seek him. And so uh, the Bible is using fathers and what they feel towards their children as an illustration of what God feels. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so God has compassion on those who seek him. So Patty and I got married in 1969, and after a couple of years of not having any kids, we wanted children, went to the doctor, and he said, you're not going to have any. It's not going to happen biologically. So... We have eight, and, uh, but we didn't have any for six years. And at the end of uh, year five, we started uh, adoption proceedings. We got the papers and did the investigation, found out what we would have to do in the whole nine yards. And so the question is, why did we do that? Did you know that those kids cost a fortune? Man, they, shoes and food and school and on the list goes. Somebody says, eight kids, you must have been rich. No, eight kids guaranteed I wasn't rich. But there is in parents, almost all parents, the desire to have children. So 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, at some point in the past had a desire to have children, as it were, uh, to have more than themselves. And uh, so they came up with a plan, a, a strategy, a purpose. And everything that's happened from the very beginning revolved around, revolved around us, you and me. We were God's plan. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things long past. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things which have not been done. Saying, my purpose, my purpose, remember that's the key word tonight. My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly, I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. You know the difference between God's goals and my goals? God has a huge advantage over me. He's God. He's all wise. He's omnipotent. What God chooses to do, he does. He can accomplish his goals. I struggle with mine a bit. Sometimes I give up on some of mine. Sometimes I postpone some of mine. Sometimes I give some of mine to someone else. Not God. His goals, he accomplishes. He says, I've planned it. I will do it. I've established it as a goal. It will happen. 1 Peter 2.21. Again, this is where we are tonight. For you have been called for this purpose. Now, if you, if we were to put the Greek of this verse on the screen, I could point out a few things for you. The word this is... Uh, more accurately translated, the. But one of the things the English translators do is they translate it so it, it flows a bit, makes some sense to us, and so it doesn't really sound good, for you have been called for the purpose. The purpose suggests the ultimate purpose. There's lots of purposes that God has, but there is the overriding big umbrella purpose that controls every purpose under it. You have been called, each of us, you and I, because of this purpose that God has. Number two, God's purpose was to populate heaven with people like himself, like himself in character, who would fellowship with him, who would love him. God's purpose was to populate heaven with beings, with people that are like him in character, who would fellowship with him, who would love him. And so that's the purpose, the ultimate purpose of all that God did from the very beginning was to have children, as it were. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now we tend to think that that was done when Adam was created, but that was just the start. It doesn't get finished until uh, we enter into heaven you know what that's translated if we were to do the Duke translation? God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. A good translation would be, let's have some kids. Here I am. Here you are. John seventeen twenty four. Father, Jesus is on the earth. He's praying. I desire, I desire. That's a great word. I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. I desire that my 
apostles, my disciples, would be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. So God says, or Jesus says, my desire is that these whom you have given me would be with me forever. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Good doesn't mean pleasant. Good doesn't mean comfortable. Good means according to God's purpose and plan and goal. We know that God causes all things to work together towards his purpose, his goal, his desire to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Who are called according to his purpose. And so he works everything towards that purpose of having children as it were, three, the problem is that any created being would be less than God by the very fact that they were created. So let me pose this question to you. It's a stupid question, but it'll maybe bring a little light to this. Let's suppose Patty and I uh, wanted children, and ah, she's pregnant. And then we go to the hospital, the nine months is up, and she gives birth, and she has a baboon. How excited would I be with a baboon baby? This is a baboon. How'd this happen? What kind of baby is a baboon going to be? I mean, I suppose you can house train it, but, you know, a baboon. You're going to be kidding me. So, God creates Adam. Did you know that when he created Adam, he could do no better? If he could have, he would have. He created Adam to the maximum ability of God to create a being in a moment of time. So the question, how far was Adam from God in the sense of being, of character? Let me suggest to you that the distance was similar to what it would be if we had a baboon as a baby. So God has the purpose of populating heaven. Is that going to work? That gap for fellowship? Psalms 8, 5, Yet you have made him a little lower than God. A little lower than God really is a lot lower than God. Number four, so God in his wisdom came up with a plan to make us like himself. So I was nine months in my mother's womb, beginning as a single cell embryo and growing and growing and growing and growing, and then I was born. Now I'm in this life in the same sense, growing and growing and growing until the day I step into heaven. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. Children of God. We are his children. That was his purpose, to have children. And it has not appeared as yet, as yet, what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Um, So that's the goal of God, is that we would be like him. We would be like him. That's God's purpose statement. Now, the fact is, some of us will be very much like him, 
When we get to the end of our life, we step into heaven, and some will not be real close because we have a life to live, we have a growth to happen, and some will and some won't. Um, And the Bible gives us all the instruction we need to grow rapidly. Number five, the first requirement of this plan so that our relationship with him was real was that we needed to be able to choose to love him. In other words, God's formulating this purpose, this plan. What is it that will be necessary for this person, me, to step into heaven and be like him? Well, one of the things that will develop that character, if I'm going to love him, that's the key ingredient, is I need to choose to do so. That we weren't created uh, as angels who had no choice in what we did and how we acted. Choice was a necessary ingredient for the love between us and God to exist. Occasionally, uh, I get a little, I hear of some rumblings, fussing from some wives in our church whose husbands say, let's pray together. And they say to the husband, you're only doing that because Pastor D is going to give you some points in leadership class if you do it. Well, that's true. I tell guys in leadership class, keep that a secret. Don't tell your wife that. I mean, it's something about being forced to that sort of lessens. So what if, uh, you know, that's a, I'm on this campaign to get every guy in the church to pray with his wife uh, at least twice a week, three times better, five times is even much better. And so I am in so passionate about this that I've decided to pay guys $10,000 every time they pray with their wife. I got this rich dude that's going to give me the money. And so you hear me say that and you go home and say, hey, hey, babes, let's pray together. Your wife's going to look at you and say, I don't want to pray with you because you don't really want to pray with me. You're just trying to earn some money. I know what you're up to. So God wants me to love him uh, as a choice. That's what I want. It becomes a key part of this whole process of us becoming like him. Joshua twenty four fifteen, classic passage, you all know it. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, this is Joshua speaking, and my house will serve the Lord. You can choose to serve those other gods that everybody, all these other countries are serving, or you can choose me. Choose today. Who's it going to be? Number six, for the choice to be legitimate, there needed to be an alternative choice. In other words, a choice is not a choice unless there's a choice between God or something else to love and to serve and to follow. Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. If you Google that in your Bible program, use your Bible thing on your phone or wherever it is, and you just put in the word forsake or forsaken me to see how often that's used in the Bible, you'll find over a hundred times God says, you have forsaken me, you have forsaken me, you have forsaken me for something else, for something else. Judges ten thirteen. you have forsaken me and served other gods. 
Therefore, I will no longer deliver you. Number seven, the devil was created by God to do exactly what he did to Adam and Eve. He has been doing through the ages work, uh, what he has been doing through the ages. That is work at keeping us from God. He is our adversary. So, sometimes people think the devil was an oops. God creates this beautiful angel and he decides to do his own thing. And God says, ah, I guess we'll have to switch, flip into plan B. He messed things up for sure. The devil was created by God to do exactly what he's doing. And that is to create an alternative. Uh, to be an adversary to us so that we have to choose. And that choice is legitimate in the sense of choosing God uh, rather than the world or whatever else the devil would bring into our life. Second Corinthians 11.3 I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, the serpent, the devil, deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Purity and devotion to Christ. That you left that and now are following Satan. Luke 7.30, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose. God's purpose. God's purpose for themselves. They rejected God's purpose for themselves. Why? Well, because the devil deceived them and they chose to love the world and the stuff in it rather than God. Number eight, the result of being given free choice was that we would sin. And God knew that. So if you could imagine the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, back in the beginning when nothing existed, when they're planning the whole strategy of how they're going to have children and populate heaven. And they bring this, they have to be free to choose to love us. There has to be an alternative, something that would tempt them not to love us, for that love to be genuine. Now, if that's the case, they're going to sin. They're going to do what's contrary to our nature. And that'll disqualify them from living with us. Those that we created to be with us forever, now they can't because of sin. So in the very beginning, the plan, the strategy to deal with, to solve that sin problem, it was part of the initial plan in the very beginning. God didn't come up with a plan after sin. He, became, he came up with a plan before sin because he knew sin was going to happen because of free choice. 1 Peter 1.20, For he was foreknown before the foundation, the foundation of the world. That's before anything existed, before the foundation of the world but he has appeared in these last times for your sake. Jesus, what he was going to do was foreknown, foreplanned, before the foundation of the world, before I existed, you existed, before Adam existed, before angels existed, before helium existed, before angels existed, God came up with the plan, and the plan was that he would be our Savior. <clears throat> Number nine, so a major part of the plan was how to take care of the sin problem that we would have and that would keep us out of heaven. How to take care of your sin problem, my sin problem, because we were given free choice that was required in order for us to truly love God, 
there was an alternative, and that's the world that we're living in and the devil tempting us. God knew that we would all sin because of that free choice, and he, that had to be solved. Number 10, the plan that Jesus would come to earth exactly like us and die for our sins was planned from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world. You ever th- stop and think about that plan? You ever thought what you would have come up with as a plan if you were back then and say, okay, we've got to save these dirty, rotten sinners? How are we going to do that? How are we going to take care of their sin? How are we going to solve this sin problem so that they can live with us? And this plan was come up, came up with God and Jesus would become like us, live like us, and then become our sin and pay the price of our sin. Second Timothy one nine, who was saved, uh, who has saved us, called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. According to his own purpose, his own plan. Grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. From all eternity in the past. This message, this salvation was planned. His purpose, his plan. John twelve twenty seven. Now my soul has become troubled. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane facing crucifixion. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. Oh, man, I don't want to do this. This is going to... But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light... What is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden? So this plan was hidden. It wasn't until after Jesus died, rose from the dead, that anybody had a clue what the plan was. So Paul says, I've been given the privilege of preaching and teaching this mystery which has been hidden who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church through the church to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose. The eternal purpose. The purpose that God established, the purpose, the plan, the strategy that God established before the foundation of the world, before anything existed. In the very beginning, this purpose was established, which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once we were born again, a major part of God's plan was to grow us so that we wouldn't be babies in heaven. So our daughter Sarah was born, and we thought that she would be the only kid we had. So we started making plans about when she would take piano lessons, when we would teach her uh, uh, calculus and trigonometry and uh, 17 languages. And, you know, we were making, we wanted her to grow up to be. We went and got counseling on raising kids, and so she would be a champion for Jesus and no, we had a second one, and then we had a third one, and 
each of them, we planned. We're going to send them to Christian school. They're going to take piano lessons. Then they're going to take trombone lessons and trumpet lessons. Then they're going to take voice lessons. And, and I'm going to work with them on their schoolwork. And I'm, they're going to be really good in math. And, and we're going to teach them how to act and talk, write. And so we had all these plans so they would grow and become grown up and strong and mature and wise and do well in life. So God's purpose in the very beginning was to populate heaven, to have children. What kind of children does he want? He wants children like himself. Now, character is not created. Not even God can create character. Character is developed over time. Just like children born. They don't know math when they're born. They don't know how to talk when they're born. It takes some time. And they learn. And they grow. And they get bigger. And they get smarter. And they get stronger. And they get more mature. Life illustrates spiritual truth. What happens to our children is what happens to us in our relationship with God. 1 Corinthians 3, 1. I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants. Infants, babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food for you. were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. Number 12, God wants to enjoy us and for us to enjoy him. Now, why do you want kids anyway? To enjoy them, to love them. And I'm glad they got bigger and learned how to fish and learned how to talk. Uh, so I could enjoy them. They can enjoy me. That's what God wants. Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. 13, his enjoyment of us and our enjoyment of him will be a result of being the same in character. We understand that. Life illustrates that. Who do I enjoy spending time with? Those who are most like me. I don't enjoy spending time with, though I can love and appreciate little kids. I have some grandkids that are little. And I say, Grandpa loves you. Now go away. (laughs) They're noisy. You know, they yell. They're just... But when they get a little bigger, then I enjoy them because they are like me. And so God wants to enjoy us forever and ever. Fourteen characters not created in a moment of time. It has grown and developed over time. So that point, number 14, circle that about ten times. Do you know how many Christians don't know that, don't get that, don't understand that? That God had a purpose in the very beginning before anything else existed. That is to have children to populate heaven, to have those whom he could fellowship with that he could love, that would love him. And he formulated this plan that would result in that happening. And our life is a key part of that plan whereby we become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. We trust in him by faith. We're born again. The Spirit of God comes and lives in us. And from that point on, like a newborn baby, we grow in character and we become like him. That's 
what God wants. Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Conformed to the image of his Son. Conformed to the image of his Son. That means that we would be like Jesus. That was his plan, and that's what he does, causing all things to work together for good, that we would move and grow to the point of being conformed to the image of his Son. So that he would be the firstborn, Jesus, among many brethren. We are the brothers, sisters of Jesus Christ. 15. God in his wisdom created the world and life to be the perfect environment to grow us into the image of Christ. A number of years ago I made a goal to learn aquaponics. And so I read all the stuff there was to read on it, watched YouTube things, and I built me a greenhouse. And in the greenhouse, I dug a hole, and I put a 300-gallon tank in the hole. And then I had some grow beds on both sides made out of 2x12s that I lined with fiberglass and fiberglass uh, resin. And I filled them up with quarter-inch pea gravel, and I put a pump in the 300-gallon tank, and it pumped water into the grow beds. And then I had a siphon in the grow beds, so when it filled clear full, it would get to a point, and it would suck it all out back into the fish tank. And then in the fish tank... I put some tilapia. And so the tilapia would eat food and then they would poop. And then the pump would take the water and pump it into the, into the grow beds. And I planted those grow beds with all kinds of vegetables. And the, the uh, fish poop would change and it would grow plants. And the water coming back into the tank would be all clean. And the fish would grow in it. And it just did it automatic. Pump ran, siphoned it out, ran, siphoned it out. And the I put a, a grow lights in there and I heated the water up to 60 degrees because the fish like that and the water was warm and it was light and it was this high nitrogen, high nutrient water and they'd just go, Poof! I could grow spinach in five days from the time it poked up until the time you could eat it because of that warm water full of fish poop. And, uh, but we would eat the fish so I needed some more fish. And so there was a dude over in Newport that sold these little tilapia. But he sold them for a dollar a piece, and they were like that big. And so I started researching. I can have baby tilapias. So I bought a big 100-gallon aquarium, and I got some of the bigger fish, and I learned how to determine males from females. I got me some big powered glasses so I could check. And look, my wife thought it was really crazy. And... Uh, it's not easy to tell a male and a, from a female tilapia. You've got to really know what you're doing. And so you only, and the easy way is that when you put six of them in a 100-gallon tank, some of them will fight. Well, everyone's that fight, those are males. You take that one out, take that one out, until there's no fighting going on, and you think you've got one male left. And then they have, did you know that tilapia, uh, when they lay their eggs, they swallow them? And they keep them in their mouth until they're hatched. And then they, and all these baby tilapias swim around. But then, you know what they do? They chase the baby tilapias and eat them. And so I read about how to have the tank, what temperature to have the water, what kind of things to have in there so the babies can escape when they get 
spit out of the mouth so the mama doesn't then turn around and catch them and eat them. And pretty soon, I had a bunch of baby tilapias, and they were big enough. I put them in the tank in the ground, and I had tilapia coming out my ears. Perfect environment is required in order to grow baby tilapia. You have to do it just right. What's it take to grow you into the image of Christ? God created the world as a perfect world. We tend to think it's bad. But we're not looking at it the way God does. God's looking at it from the perspective of growing character. And so he causes all things to work together for good. We tend to think it's the Democrats or the Chinese or the Republicans or whoever. Man, they're messing things up. God causes all things to work together for good. Good doesn't mean comfortable, nice. It means character. His purpose of making us like Jesus in every detail of our life. Ephesians 4, 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, that we would become like Jesus. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness, deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. 16, God is going to do his part to cause us to grow. He's the potter, we're the clay. But there are some things we must do to cooperate with God's efforts in our life. It's a partnership, us and God working together for us to grow, to become like Jesus in character as much as is possible in this life. 2 Corinthians 6.1, working together with him, We urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Working together with him, we urge you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. 17, we must want to grow and pursue character growth diligently. So, did you know that is kind of when we talk about your, my role in our growing This is like number one. If you don't have this one, none of the others matter. If you don't want, want, really want to grow in maturity, to be like Jesus, you won't do what you need to do. You won't respond the way you're supposed to respond in order for what God does as he causes all things to work together for good so that you'll grow. You won't cooperate with the process. You won't choose to do the things that are necessary for us to grow because you don't really care. So when I think about me and what I'm doing now, my primary goal is to stir you up and give you the desire, the passion, want to, to become like Jesus in character. Because if you don't have it, it isn't going to happen. If we don't care, if I have so many people say to me, Pastor D, I don't care about that. I just go into heaven. That's all I care about. You want to enter heaven as a baby? Something's wrong with your thinking. It's going to be a whole lot better than here. But man, you ought to want to be mature when you enter heaven so you can enjoy Jesus and enjoy heaven. Don't, no, no, don't settle for being a baby. 
You've got to want. Philippians 3.12, here's what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained it. That is, I've not become what I need to become or have already become perfect. That's not sinless. That's grown up like Jesus in character. Paul said at this point when he writes, I'm not there yet. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Jesus, by Christ Jesus. I press on so that I can become what he wants me to become. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I work hard. I want, I want. I'm not content with who I am, with what I've done. I want to be more and more like Jesus. 18, we must be faithful to the basic disciplines of the Christian life that God designed to facilitate rapid growth in us like food is for physical growth. Basic disciplines, Bible reading, prayer, gathering, worship, giving, serving. Those are the basic disciplines that create growth as food does physically. And so when you hear me say, read your Bible every day, read your Bible every day, every day, every day. Why? I'll just come to church and have you teach it to me. I don't need to read it. First Peter 2.2 2 says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Why? So that by it you may grow. That you may grow. The word of God is absolutely essential for my character growth. The disciplines are. 19, the most powerful tool that God has to cause us to grow is suffering. I don't like that. But that's the most powerful tool that God has that he uses in our life. That's what this passage in First Peter is about tonight. I'll read it to you again. You have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin, live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He left us an example how to suffer. Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons, that's me, that's you, populating heaven, many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. That's Jesus. Did you know Jesus, as a man, had to grow in character? Just like me, just like you. And the Father perfected, grew his own son through sufferings. So have you ever thought, Lord, I'll read extra. I'll pray more. I'll go to church more. I'll give more. Let's reduce the sufferings, huh? Sufferings were necessary for Jesus to grow in character. I wonder who I think I am that I can do it without it. 
20 sufferings won't cause us to grow if we grumble about it. In fact, grumbling will cause us to go backward in our character growth. You know why people grumble when they have trials? Because they don't know the plan. They don't understand the strategy. They don't really want to become like Jesus. All I want is just to get through life with as few of problems and trials as possible and then step into glory. That's cool. That's all I want. See, it's just immature thinking. I want to be like Jesus, and the price tag is I need to suffer. That's the only way I will grow in character. But suffering doesn't do it on its own. What does it is when we rejoice. When we rejoice. James 1, 2, Consider it all joy, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. You are as much like Jesus as you can get in this life. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Why? Because you suffered. But not just because you suffered, but because you rejoiced in your suffering. 21, those who suffer well understand the purpose of trials. And they want to grow and are anticipating trials in their life as the major cause of character growth. So it's no different than a high school kid that turns out for the football team. And the first day of practice, the coach says, run 4,000 laps across the football field. And not quite that many, but, you know, I've, my boys went out for football. They came home and said, yeah, we had 12 kids puke today in practice. <laughs> really? And they come back for the next day? Why? Well, because they want to play football, and they want to be on the team, and they want to win. So they pay the price. It doesn't seem like that big a price to them because they get to play on the team and they get to play football and they get to win. So it's just an understanding. What's life about? Life is not about fun and games. It's not about cars and boats. and Life is about growing to be like Jesus Christ. That's all life is about. The purpose. The purpose. God is populating heaven with children, but he wants them to be like him in character. And life is designed to be tough, to train us, to grow us, to be like him. And so we have to plan on trials and plan, anticipate they're going to come. And when they come, we're going to do it right. We're going to do it right. First Peter, again, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same purpose. Arm yourselves with the same purpose. That means I'm going to suffer. And when it comes, I'm going to do it right. I'm not going to fuss and complain and grumble. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus, that you want me to be like you. And you know exactly what I can take and what I need in order to grow. Arm yourselves with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. 22, God loves to give his strength and joy and peace to those who understand the purpose of trials and rejoice and seek him. So a trial comes into your life, big bad one, 
And you recognize that's what I need. Now, God will leave the trial in your life, but he will give you. He will give you strength and joy and peace as you say, Lord, I trust you and I choose to rejoice. Psalms 34, 17, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Now, he doesn't take them out of their troubles. He gives them the strength to bear up under it. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So, I understand the purpose of God. I am in his family. I've trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I've been born again. And I'm going to go to heaven when when I die or he returns. And when I step into glory, my character is what I take with me. My maturity, my Christ-likeness. And the more like I am, the more like him I am when I step into heaven, the more I will enjoy him, the more he will enjoy me, the more I will enjoy eternity, and I'm going to be there for a long time. So we ought to say, bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. Give me as much as you think I can take, because I know you'll give me the strength, and I want to grow. I want to grow. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to gather with the church. I'm going to do whatever I need. I'm going to grow. That's what I want. I'm going to press on toward the goal of the high calling of Christ Jesus for my life. It's a way of thinking. It's an attitude. And when we have it, then um, trials are a piece of cake. Because we know God knows best what will cause us to grow. And he'll give us what we need to endure them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us to pay the price of our sin. And you'll love us so much that you, you won't leave us where we are. You will grow us. You will train us. You will coach us. You'll push us. But we have to work with you. I pray that none of us will have received the grace of God in vain and that we remain babies, infants in Christ. And Lord, so we give our life to you, we present ourselves to you and say, Lord, we trust you and we will rejoice when trials come into our life because we know that you know best and we will cooperate, we'll seek you, we'll seek your strength. And Lord, grow us to be like Jesus. We want to see you, be like you when we step into glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.